Hey guys, Sarah here, with a quick note before we begin. Today's episode is extra special and extra long, as this episode includes the bonus content at the end that is normally sent only to paying subscribers. So we hope you'll enjoy, and if you want to receive it every time, please consider a paid membership to our Substack, which you can find at aspecialplace.substack.com. For just $6 a month, you will get a longer, juicier version of every episode. Happy listening. Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell, the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together to thoroughly and conclusively solve our culture war problems with our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experiences. I am the aging Gen X author, Megan Daum, and with me is the self-hating millennial, Sarah Hader. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm okay. I am in New York. I am in my, I am back in my apartment. How does it feel? Uh, it's very humid. It's very hot and humid. There's nothing like uh, New York City uh, at the very end of July into August. Yeah, it's weird. I, I, I've been back in Los Angeles for uh, since January and um, I had to come back for a trip and the people who are subletting my apartment um, amazingly, are <laughs> not here that often, so they're letting me use it uh, when I'm here. So it's it's interesting, um, but yeah, it's wait. So they're, they, they have they have they made it their own home? So it's... Um, well, there's it's a very small apartment. Yeah, they actually. They, I mean, it's incredibly clean. I I got really lucky. They're they're amazing tenants. Um, but yeah, they moved a few things around. Um, and they they definitely um, upgraded the coffee maker, uh, like the coffee station. There's like a coffee mm-hmm. station now. Mm-hmm. Um, That's <laughs> but, important. I but, have one. Uh, <laughs> you have a yeah. I have a but, station. Um, no, the the main the apartment is very small, but the main thing about it is it has this spectacular view, um, and it's on the tenth floor, and it looks out over over the river and over this big green space, but this huge this um sky this high-rise building is going up right across um the street and it's like this menacing hunk of doom uh just kind of sitting there and it was really jarring uh, when i walked in and saw it so you know i guess sorry nothing, about nothing stays the same yeah yeah so so anyway um but yeah doing doing this from new york so uh what do we have to talk about? We have a, a couple of items. We're definitely going to, we're not going to run over this time. Um, yeah. Because I know you're still, you're still under the weather. You, you definitely, you've, you're, you had COVID. You're still getting over it. Um, I mean, I, I still not sure exactly what I have, but um, I think it, I think it is COVID. Um, I've been talking to a couple of other people who also had like um, very similar symptoms to me and it was COVID. Um, and they also had difficulty getting, a positive test. Apparently they're recommending that now you do like a throat swab in addition to oh. a nose swab for this variant because it um, 
it because it, it doesn't test so well. So uh, I don't <laughs> it know. Doesn't it doesn't do well on the test. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on. But um, the weird thing is, is that I've been having, I mean, TMI, I guess, but uh, so you're, you're welcome, listeners. Um, I've just been getting so much nausea and like vomiting, which I feel like is very, um, I thought that was so strange, but then I looked it up and other people were saying that they had it too which is from this yeah. strain of covid from yeah yeah evidently evidently um not like digestion problems like nausea and throwing up and diarrhea i guess are all part of like this oh, no. new we strains. should save this for the bonus content we're gonna be talking about <laughs> diarrhea i think they have to pay I, I, to hear that yeah, sure <laughs> Um, um wow oh my gosh yeah i'm sorry so you've actually been throwing up you're not just nauseous i threw up twice oh no um and then i felt really nauseous last night and i still feel nauseous this morning and yeah oh. you know maybe maybe i'm pregnant so we talked about this <laughs> what are we gonna do uh, um I, it'll be my 10th baby we can't, and, i know uh, really we're not how um <laughs> as your employer, as your non-paying, <laughs> as your business partner, I can't, uh, I can't be in favor of that. I understand. Um, yeah. So let's, let's hope that, let's hope that that's not the case. Let's hope that you just merely have long, is it, is it long COVID yet? I mean, it's not, it's week? not, it's still, uh, <laughs> it's still regular COVID. Okay. <laughs> and just to be clear, if you were pregnant, I would be very happy for you. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear from people about that. Even though I, I wouldn't be happy for me. Oh my god, I couldn't. <laughs> I'm an antinatalist, so uh, um, that would be we, that would be something we could talk about. Um, all right. Well, we have a few items. Um, I guess you know the first one I wanted to touch on. I, I know you say that you don't have anything to say about this, but I feel like you do, and I feel it's, it's extremely germane now as I'm like having vocal fry. Um, Jane Lynch, who is the actress, the comedic actress, uh, we know her from a lot of a lot of comedies, Christopher Guest films. Um, she's a character actress. She ha had a tweet the other day, and it said this: "It said I love women." She actually does love women. She's a lesbian, but that's neither here nor there. I love women. I am a woman. Our voices are higher than men's voices. Women's voices can get into the annoying area if it gets too high. Not the best grammar, but okay. If you're doing a podcast, consider lowering your pitch a tad. If you think I'm being sexist about then, then I don't know what to do with you. Whew. <laughs> and you can imagine. So there are, um, you know, there are 429 retweets as we speak. Uh, there are uh, almost 2,500 quote retweets. Okay, so this is your typical response. I can't with this anymore. Stop it. I teach podcasting to young women and their voices are perfectly pitched. There is nothing wrong with their voices. It's not them. It's you. <laughs> um, okay. Um, this is somebody uh, that was a woman named Bonnie Bauman. Um, this is a guy named Patrick. He says, I've studied women's voices podcasting academically. <laughs> This is, this is a field of study now. <laughs> Women's podcasting voices studies. He says, I taught a whole class just on the uses and misuses of vocal fry and upspeak in women's podcasting. And I can tell you, you're not a credentialed expert on vocal oh pitch. God. I'll have your podcast teacher's badge for this. 
Oh um, my god. Yeah, and this goes on and on. Wait, was that real? Was that a joke or was that real? Oh, you know what? Good could it point. be? A, could it be a joke? Is um, that just too? This guy. Let me see. Who I don't know. He doesn't have a lot of. Um, he doesn't say much about himself. Maybe this. Okay. Well, r- it's rather, hard to tell. I mean, whether or not it it's a real. joke, people are taking him seriously. The next woman says, "Hi, Patrick. You're a big part of the problem. If you've chosen to dedicate a class to bashing women's voices because they're women's voices, and then he says." When I say women's voices, I'm talking less about the sex of the speaker than the gendered vibe they give off. Oh, For what? instance, uh, so-and-so, I don't know, David Arid, I don't know who that is, is all man. <laughs> you don't hear that. You don't hear that phrase very much anymore. He's all man. But nobody's going to hire him for the next trail- film trailer voiceover narrator when they could get Mary Elizabeth Winstead instead. Okay, I don't know who we're talking about anywhere. But but this is actually, there's a long history of discussing uh, women's voices on the air and, as we say, policing women's voices. And um, it's something that I've been cogn- cognizant of for a long time because I tend to struggle with vocal fry. Uh, and I try not to do it, but sometimes it's hard. So do you have, I know you said you have nothing to say about I'm this. I'm nothing. But... I mean, it's, I, I feel like I don't like my own voice. Oh my um, God. I love your voice. Oh, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Your voice I is just, so deep and rich. It is. It is weird. And it's nasally. Well, right now it's extra nasally cause I am super congested, but, um, um, it, I, I don't like it. I don't like listening to it. Maybe the other problem also, and I was, as I was listening to our podcast, I just, I feel like I don't speak clearly enough so that might be there are too many ums and and interruptions oh well that's 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 another problem that's a different issue i don't know how much that that's getting into the way in the way of me enjoying my own voice but i definitely don't like it um i don't mind high voices like like uh but i think the jane lynch could have avoided problems if she just said she doesn't like high voices instead of saying women's voices <laughs> you know if she just because she's excluding um ben shapiro here um who who could also oh, he try has, he, should, he should try to talk in a lower register if right. possible for him i didn't i didn't think it's like that. annoyingly high i he has that voice that that okay we might have to cut this out but like he has that voice that like <laughs> that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that trans men have you know what i mean after they take testosterone oh my god do you think that are you saying that ben <laughs> shapiro is a trans man I, um that's not what i'm saying i'm saying he definitely sounds like a trans man um take god that. i never thought of that i don't watch him i mean i don't listen to him or watch him enough to to know oh my yeah, god I, now i'm so it's really it's early it's you have early in the morning so i feel like my fry is extreme i like it um well, you know, I used to, I, I really should be better because if you make a tea, I used to like make like a tea with a, with a cough drop and honey in it. And before doing a podcast and it would really, it, it helps out it a helped. lot. Um, but no, I think that, so this is something that has been talked about for a long time. This idea that women's voices are under all this scrutiny. Um, and I feel like it used to come up a lot when people started when people started talking a lot about national public radio and it became a sort of uh, like media uh, entity or almost like it was a cultural product that suddenly people were critiquing almost as if it was a piece of art. I mean, I maybe mean, this started kind of like in the 
late 80s into the 90s, people would talk about the voices of the different hosts and reporters. And also there was this thing where they would make fun of the names of of the um, of the NPR hosts because they all they meant uh, some of them had unusual names like, you know, that people tended to remember more than others. Um, and uh, I don't know, then it'd be just like, say, why are you why are you criticizing women's voices? But I do think that lower pitched voices just come with more authority, regardless of the sex of the person mm. and there's got to be like a biological but that that connection. i mean that tendency itself is definitely rooted in in some sort of of uh, sexism, sexism. Mm-hmm. yes and 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 probably probably it has to do with adulthood as well you know children and yes um <clears throat> having high voices so i think that has something to do with it i also think it's pleasing to the ear in some strange way like i i prefer deeper voices maybe it's because i'm a straight woman i don't know um, but I prefer deeper voices, just listening to them. Um, Jane Lynch has a great voice. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of, most, I think most trained actors do. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of, can you, I can't think of, other than like Melanie Griffith or somebody who's known for having a high-pitched, squeaky voice. I can't think of that many um, like professional voice people or actors performers that there's that one woman who was on um uh she was been on a couple of shows including okay we're now we're gonna have to cut this out because i forget but that that show with the guy the gay guy and the woman and they're like will and grace Grace. wasn't there a woman in there that who has an extremely high voice i don't i never watched that show i forget we will cut this out no Um, why i it's uh i mean there there's definitely like the character you know like leslie mann the actress right who's judd apatow's wife yeah she has she She has has that kind of voice but that's yeah that's a that's a character voice i guess i just feel anybody who's anchoring the news for instance they always have very deep voices even mm-hmm. even the women mm-hmm. i think the thing that happened when npr came along there was you know the main hosts the um nina totenberg and um jackie Lydon and you know the sort of og female uh npr hosts they had they had you know your standard very professional deep um, serious voices with with gravitas and then over the years i feel like there was this effort to be more inclusive of voices and then you had this kind of you started to hear more of the of the fry and the up talk and frankly i think it started with this american life that was really revolutionary when it came to hearing different kinds of voices primarily because of ira glass he hmm. had a very unusual voice for a man in radio it was not deep. It was nasally, and it it had it connoted this kind of alternative aesthetic mm-hmm. to use a word that I use too often. Um, and then you had people like Sarah Vowell, obviously, who had an extremely distinctive, much higher voice. Um, and then that's that all enjoyable really too, right? Like I, I like that. I like the diversity of of voices. I I mean, so long as I'm not listening. So when I'm listening to an audiobook, um. I, I like clear, deep voices, um, whether male or female. 
right. um, and sort of soothing tones. Well, those are the people fewer. that they hire for those things. Usually, yeah. I'm now I'm becoming like very, very picky about what I will listen to in terms of an audio because, but that because you're committed for like 30 hours straight. Um, I mean, depending on the book, I guess. But, uh, but that I'm I'm way more picky for for that kind of length. Um, but in regular conversation, I enjoy listening to different voices. Um, you know, like just a variety of voices. Um, of course, there's like extremes that are that are annoying. But I feel like I rarely encounter that in real life or or in the media. Do you feel like you you're you're regularly annoyed by certain voices? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm very sensitive to this. I yeah, yes, like a lot of. Um, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but there are certainly people in the podcasting world. I'm not necessarily thinking of people who have their own podcasts, but I can think of, I can think of certain journalists who have been part of sort of the podcast of news organizations over the last 15 years or so who, who's, who have no business <laughs> talking to us, like, you know, just really nasally voices you know there was a, a really sort of weird film that came out in 2013 um about this very topic it, talk about niche it was about the topic of voiceover work hmm. and the world of vocal coaching and it was um written and directed by lake bell who was who was um you know who's, who was an actress she was a, a young actress um, and I guess she, yeah, she's a screenwriter and director, and I guess she's done gone to on to do sort of lots of different kinds of things. But she really had this kind of bee in her bonnet about how women need to speak with more authority in the world, and it's about um, a young woman who's trying to make it as a as a voiceover actress and sort of the the obstacles that she encounters. And the name of the film, it's it's so it's so random. Okay, tell me if this is even gonna resonate with you. The name of the film is In a World. Okay, does that yeah, what would that like say to you? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. In a world where okay. 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 That's what it's a reference <laughs> to. <laughs> okay, got it. So she wanted the character in the movie wanted to be wanted to land uh, a job where she was narrating the film trailer saying in a world where such and such and such and such, because that's how the film trailers are. Um, and she really sort of had a, was making a political statement about how women need to speak with more authority and stop having squeaky voices and stop talking in up talk because that's a little bit of a side issue, but that's something that girls have been and women have been doing for a long time, like ending sentences in the form of a question um but we yeah do, i mean we do that and we do we just have gen generally our our way of speaking has a lot more has more ups and more downs we're like sort of sing-songing our yeah, way women, and I, women, I, women, women do yeah, yeah. And I, uh -huh. I, I mean i like that i you know i was i was um i remember reading a little bit about what um uh, vocal training looks like for trans women or trans men and they it's interesting because they have to accept they have to be like okay well men talk like this and women talk like this so don't be sing-songy if you want to appear or if you want to sound like a man mm -hmm. which i thought was um interesting and that all these specific notes um noting the differences between the the sexes so what do you think about elizabeth holmes 
Is she? <laughs> I think a lot about her. The amount of real estate that Elizabeth Holmes takes up in my brain is alarming sometimes. Um, I thought her voice was so bizarre. And I just, I didn't, I, it, it was unsettling listening to her speak because it was, it was so like, you know, she, deliberately, you know, like, <laughs> That's a I good mean, impression. it was, I don't know what she was doing, but it was, it, it was the whole time. I'm like, deeply uncomfortable in her presence like or just like you know watching i'm not in her presence but watching her all of the videos with her when she's talking i'm uncomfortable i don't know how people talking to her aren't, aren't uncomfortable because yeah. it sounds artificial well it sounds like it's something like you turned the speed down on a recording or it's yeah. like like you're listening yeah. to a, a record <laughs> at half speed or something yeah obviously she bought into the kind of lead- leadership you know, tips for leadership that would encourage women to speak in a lower voice. I'm, I'm sure there's research that suggests that women who have, who speak lower and more authoritatively are going to do better in business. But I, I just, yeah, it definitely sounded super weird and I don't know how she sustained it. Yeah. That's like, the other thing. That that's is like astonishing thing. feat of endurance. Her, her voice must be exhausted but i think i think at the end of it you you start getting used to it i mean that's what like vocal training does too right like over time you start getting used to it and you can talk in that tone for lengthy periods of time but i just i found it odd and i don't know how no one like no one said anything no one was like what why are you talking like that just stop it i like, know we know that it's fake it sounds fake yeah um, let it go um and no one didn't no one no one called her out i mean the whole thing is pretty hilarious well, right from the <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would just—it's just more evidence that she's probably some kind of like there's something wrong with borderline. Deeply, deeply, deeply. Like, yeah, yeah there's yeah. a there's a kind of personality cohesion problem. Yeah, but um, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so I yeah I thought that was interesting. I just um, I think Jane Lynch is right about that, and I don't I don't like it when people you know when talking about when when people just jump on and say if you criticize anything about a woman's voice especially in the professional arena that you're being sexist because, you know, you are not going to see a male news anchor, for instance, with a high pitched voice. The, yeah, no, you're disagreeing with me here. No, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just, I think it's, it's not just about women's voices. It's just, if you criticize anything that's specific to like, I, I just think if, if Jane Lynch just removed the fact that it's women's, if she just said, you know, um, people with high pitched voices just lower them please you know and and if she left it gender neutral like that mm-hmm. people won't be pissed off in the way that they're pissed off because she specifically said right women, you know yeah i mean somebody said here i'm with you jane it's excruciating a lot of podcast dudes are also doing the upspeak thing now. When I'm listening to someone talk about economics i don't want it to sound like i'm being read the specials menu at a restaurant you know yeah, I mean, there's a kind of hipster dude speak that is yeah. that way. Yeah, and I well, wonder I, if it's like a gay. It's also like there's a gay male intonation that there's I feel a, like straight we, men are adopting. Not all gay men have it, though. No, and not all. Yeah, hashtag not all. Not all. Not, hashtag not all. But yeah, I I know what you mean. Um, I I don't know. I think it's it's also that we're just hearing a lot of voices that are just normal people's voices. People, you know, non-professionals who are now like, oh, I have a podcast. You know, I'm recording on my iPhone and um, putting it up for the world to see. And and so now we're seeing this kind of interesting diversity um, and kind of this this approach to the audio form in a less professional 
yes. manner overall, you know, and, and, and some audiences actually respond really well to that. So I think that, you know, for some people it is paying off because it, Hey, I'm a, I'm literally a different voice. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a yeah. different voice in, in terms of what I'm covering. And I'm also, I sound different. Um, and that gives certain signals to people. I think that if, you know, if you're going out of your way to sound very, very, anchory you're also <laughs> going to give people this feeling of um that this is ar- there's something artificial to yes. produce to whatever so there, there's a line i think I, I think your general point is correct but there's a line to walk um where you don't go too fake um then you start seeming inauthentic yeah yeah you sound like a local news anchor um um all right well i know you, you brought to my attention a very interesting article um, having to do with the the Stanford campus, among other things. Do you want to tell us yeah, about Yeah, yeah. So um, this was actually an article published a little while ago, um, June 13th um, of this year um, by, by someone named um, Ginevra Davis um, for um, Palladium Magazine. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing anything correctly, so... Well, palladium definitely palladium. You, you pronounce correctly. Oh, really? I think wow. I think Geneva is it Geneva Geneva. So, I think it's right? a pseudonym. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it might be, but um, in any case, if you want to look this article up, it's called Stanford's War on Social Life. Um, and I stumbled across it. I have this like long list of things I I I, I bookmark to get back to um and I, I stumbled I stumbled on it um trying to look for something else and I thought it was just um you know a topic that doesn't get enough attention um and that would be what might be the the negative impacts of of this idea that inclusion is this wonderful value and extremely important and we have to um, you know, increase inclusion everywhere, um, and what that necessarily means for in, in specific contexts. So this article had to do with um, what Stanford University has been doing I, I, for the past, I guess, um, half a decade or or more, more, yeah, almost a decade now, um, where they've sort of launched into this. Um, this uh what she calls a cultural revolution um to to um uh to end social life as it used to be on stanford um she describes um you know stanford university as being a home for free free spirits and all these different social clubs and organizations and fraternities and sororities that had their own distinctive flavor um, and and community and it provided people with a sense of of place um, and belonging that was very important and there's something going on within the Stanford administration that they've been sort of eviscerating these social groups um, uh, so let me, I'll I'll quote a little bit from from what she says. Um, uh, she says they ended decades old traditions. They drove student groups out of their houses. They scraped names off buildings. They went after long established hubs of student life like fraternities and cultural theme houses. In place of it all, Sanford erected a homogenous housing system that sorts new students into perfectly equitable groups named with letters and numbers, all social distinction gone. Whenever Stanford empties out a fraternity or theme house, the administration renames the organization's former house 
house after its street number. Now, Stanford's iconic campus row, once home to dozens of vibrant student organizations, is lined with generic unmarked houses with names like 550, 680, 675. I have such fond memories of my days in 550. And arbitrary groupings with names like S and D. So, I mean, it's just, um, it's so, such a fascinating read um, as you go through it. You, you know, she talks about how in 2013, the administration took over an anarchist house, you know, and painted over, like there there were murals, I guess, all over inside. And they, and they, they painted over, she said, um, I'm quoting now, the next year Stanford drained remnants of Lake Lagunita, where students used to gather to host bonfires and ended the annual anything but clothes party known as exotic erotic. The year after that, in 2015, the administration put the notoriously anti-establishment Leland Stanford Junior University marching band on super probation, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the culmination of years of increasing restrictions on their antics. The university sent a clear message with its treatment of the band, spontaneous organizations, particularly when they could become chaotic, controversial, and otherwise a space for breaking rules, were now something to be controlled. Rather than treating freedom and spontaneity as strengths, the dynamic became one where students had to justify their projects and ideas while under suspicion from administrators. Student life was becoming dominated by a restrictive bureaucracy. Um, so I just, it's so interesting to see this sort of, this, this, I guess it, it can you call it a trend if it's happened on more well, than Well, it campus? started um, in 2015. So that's all we need to know. Um, like yeah. everything else. <laughs> 2013, 2013. So it's, oh, 2013. It's, it's, it's okay. Been but, a little okay. Well, the that. band, did you say the band was 2015? Something like the band, that. Something was 2015. Yes, They've been yes. moving, marching slowly forward. Yeah. Um, but, but I remember Harvard tried to do this, um, uh, a long time ago, where they tried to ban um, uh, any social organization that was segregated by sex, because that was in in their eyes inherently exclusive, which I thought was idiotic and insane. Um, and they had all these justifications for it, and they kept moving forward despite just protests and protests and protests from students who were saying we don't want this. And it was just shocking to me how little that 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 seemed to be a consideration for Harvard Harvard administration administrators who were very convinced that what were they were doing was a very good thing um and uh you know and then it i I guess it ended when alumni uh sued the university right well is it a title nine kind of thing yeah i'm not sure about the details of of how they won i actually didn't even know that the uh, alumni got through um here with uh uh, with I guess pushback that mattered, um, but uh, she, you know she talks about that, that that this is a similar playbook. She said that you know um, quoting again some incident would spark an investigation. The administration would insist that the offending organization had lost its right to remain on campus. The group would be promptly removed. Over time, it became clear that their decisions only ever went one way: fewer gatherings, fewer social groups. This yeah. campus spirit waned year by year. Um, it's so easy on campuses. Uh, the red tape of um, universities is just mind boggling. Um, in 2017 and part of 2018, I tried to do um, a campus tour uh, with my organization. We had tons of invitations from all these student groups and students who were extremely excited to have us on campus. And I I don't understand how, why it was so, I mean, it was just so shockingly difficult to, to just have a tiny event, you know, in a small lecture hall, not even like a large, a small room with a couple of, um, 
uh, the, the you know a club or two and and some attendance. And this was students. just this was ex-Muslims of North America. This, this was, was ex-Muslims of North America. And so yes. was it like um, ideological or just just it was logistical. Um, I think it it was presented as logistical, and I think it, to some degree there were just so, there was just so much there was so, so much red tape everywhere that even if you wanted something to go through really quickly, it would have been difficult regardless if you were following the rules. But I definitely think that the fact that they actually didn't want us on campus, um, it, the, the the numerous rules allowed them to to delay 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 yeah. delay you know delay approval of this delay approval of that okay now you have to get security on board now you have to uh get the department on board now you actually we realize since there's another organization involved you have to go through all this separate thing i mean they were they were just it was like they were inventing rules um and it was it, it was one of those radicalizing kind of experiences because i didn't do it, just do it with one university we tried to go to like 25 and ended up going to just a small handful. And it was, I think it was so demoralizing for the students too, because it was always a student uh, involved with the student organization who who invited us. Who was bringing you in? What kind of Yeah, students. Yes. It was usually the Secular Student Association. Okay. Um, Like usually it's a a group like that, like the atheist kind of club. Okay. Okay. um, Did they tend to be popular on campus or were they sort of considered like suspicious or... I think like they were at, at this point of libertarian uh, adjacent uh, or something. Um, it de- it depends a little bit on the group, but I think at that point they weren't they weren't like super libertarian seeming. Although once in a while we did get invited by a free speech kind of a group, but that happened once or twice, and I don't think it was ever successful. And our free but, speech group. Sorry to interrupt you, but our free speech groups either well now, but at that time were they considered suspicious? Like yeah, yeah. When did that Certainly. start being a, <laughs> they a, were dir- a dirty phrase? They were definitely suspicious at the time that I was. I was. They and were, what years are we um, talking about? Twenty seventeen and part of twenty. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, I, all right. I so there was. I mean, that. and it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was so. It was so hard to get an event. We had to. We, we started um, getting better about it, <laughs> about getting events approved as we got used to uh, the the insane administration. But it was. It, it had to be that we, we had to tell students, look, you have to. You have to put the date like at least six months ahead of time, preferably the next semester, because it's they're going to delay and delay and delay. They're not going to move. And it it seems to be on purpose, but maybe it isn't. Maybe they just move that slowly. But regardless, I, I, I fail to understand why a speaker wanting to give a lecture invited by a student group wasn't something that could be like, why, why did they even need, you know, that kind of approval process? It didn't make any sense to me. It just went against the spirit of a university. Um, even when we had like a professor kind of on board, it could still be very difficult. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the, 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 their playbook that worked really, really well was just to make things extremely slow and, uh, run, run out the clock essentially so that we would get mm-hmm. right up to the date that the event was supposed to happen. Cause first you submit your, all your papers and you say, this is the date I want it. And this is the date and you book your room and everything. And then, then you, then they're like, Oh, but you also need this and you also need this approval and you also need to get this, whatever. And so they're racing to get all these other different, you know, um, approvals or whatever it is that they need to happen. And by that time you're too close to that date. Maybe you can't make it at all. Uh, maybe those approvals don't happen in time. You can't move the date. Um, you're just not going to have the event. Okay. 
and again is that so like if it was black lives matter or something like that do you think it would be different i think it would be different because i think that there was certainly an element of um of because there were times where the 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 student union would be involved like for every university has a slightly different configuration um in terms of how their approval process but sometimes you had to get through some kind of an approval body um especially if it involved the usage of like uh, funds that they might give out to to mm-hmm. to groups, you know. So they say give you five thousand dollars or whatever you can use for whatever you want, and they want to use some of it for this. They have to get approval in this way, um, and that would go through a student union. And when we were when we knew that we were going to go through like <laughs> like a little little group of students, other students who are not from our you know not atheists, not people who are specifically interested in our in this, we were going to have a hard time getting approved. Right. Um, so so that kind of thing certainly and then there were there was the security kind of it felt like a huge loophole like you if so so long as you could say um in some schools that there was even a chance that this could pose some security problems they had the right to just shut things down and with us because we were ex-muslims and we were talking about islam there was just an inherent sense of like this is a very dangerous thing even so we would say no we're gonna we'll cover security we'll pay for the extra whatever we'll do it and they said no we can't we simply can't risk it so i think that there was there was just there were so many ways to get the event shut down i remember I was talking, speaking to other groups as well that were doing similar kind of tours. Um, Spiked did a a campus tour that I was actually a part of. Um, I, I attended an event um, called Unsafe Space or something mm-hmm. like that, and they had all these interesting people, Jonathan Haidt and um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, I went these, to yeah. I, I think I went to, to an event one? at like um, NYU Law School or something. With, oh yeah, yeah, on, that on they that had. Tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember speaking to somebody who was um, f- from their like organizing I don't know group, and they 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 were just basically like, yeah, this has been, this is so hard. It is so hard to get an event on campus. You're working, um, you know, from, for the better part of a year to, 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 to but host it, something. It, it's so weird because these, these institutions tout themselves as being just like a cornucopia of opportunities and offerings. Like, I mean, when I was in college, I, I went to a lecture like every night. <laughs> It was my favorite thing to do. I would see anybody. I would see any speaker. I think it depends I, on like who was to it. who was bringing the speaker. It might, I think if there, there's there's a centralization, you know that that, that if a professor is bringing a speaker, if a, a in the administration or the department approves of a speaker, it's easy to get them on campus. If it's coming from the students, it's treated right. with suspicion, unless it's like um, Milo Yiannopoulos. I mean, when he did that tour with. Christina Hoff Summers and it was it Steve Crowder. I believe that it was student organizations that that brought them in. Right, right. But the point is, is that they they just treat student offers yeah. like student student suggestions in uh, very differently. Yeah, um, yeah. From what yeah. I understand, yeah. Did, did you have students protesting your events? Um, once or twice, yeah, it did uh, happen. There were some successful, uh, like. Uh, it's one time there there was um uh, i'm fairly certain it was it was the muslim student association um that they basically um went into an, our event bright and like filled up all the spots like they they signed up oh. <laughs> you know they signed up and then so they it's it's i guess it's a com this is a common protest tactic where you fill up all the like if there's a ticket tickets available if, if they're selling tickets um uh and these were free tickets we were just selling them because we had security concerns so we wanted to know we had we had to have registrants mm-hmm. um so they, they basically fill up the 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 space in the room um 
and and then when the day comes they don't show up and so they they did that once with us and we learned very quickly like oh this is a tactic so we found ways to get around it um but it was really disheartening um because there were just there were all these it felt like it was such an uphill battle for you know a conversation <laughs> at a university and people can look up like what we actually talked about There's so much of it it was like women's rights you know like mm. modesty culture like there was this mm. you know but it was because it was coming from us right um and because we had a sp- specific perspective on a faith that could not be touched um it was uh, just a pain to get to get. anyway now I'm, I'm going on like way too long about my own personal yeah well but but. i mean it speaks to what this piece was about was just the sort of nature of interest and specific topics really (laughs) i mean i should say first of all the author of this piece geneva davis that is not a pseudonym i i misspoke there the people quoted in the piece were quoted under pseudonyms so that just just to be clear um but yeah i you know it's really about this kind of I don't know what the right word is that there just seems like an almost like a neutering effect mm-hmm. of of the experience like uh, they're they're talking about shutting down you know certain parties with certain themes and certain clubs um the opening anecdote though I'm curious what you think because it talks about how a fraternity house it was kappa alpha uh they had a a party that was like Cabo themed and this had involved putting six inches of sand again um, on the entire first floor of this fraternity house, like a major, major production, like yeah. <laughs> Hollywood level kind of production design here. And they ended up like having a bulldozer having to come take it away anyway i you know i i read this and i'm thinking like well that sounds fun but also how talk about privileged like really you're a bunch of college undergraduates and you're hiring bulldozers i just yeah but uh... let them do it i mean you can i mean so what this is the 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 problem here with this i mean and i i went to college as a not privileged person you know and I remember I went to a similar party that was bizarre like that, but but it was it was cool. It was crazy. Um, they <laughs> was there sand? I there mean, was had no they, sand. Like, transformed, but the they they facility? like rented like a piece of land or something, and um, over the course of like a year, they like grew this like very fast growing bamboo, oh. um, like on this land, and then they they then they cleared out, um, like. A, I guess they didn't, the bamboo didn't grow in like the middle of it or whatever, where there was like a, the party was. And then um, in order to get to the party, they sort of cleared off like a little pathway, you know, so you co- it kind of felt like you were in the jungle. Um, you know, you had to go through this little path to get to the party. Um, and the students did this themselves. Like, yeah, they actually, this, was this safe? <laughs> I mean, it seemed like somebody could um, have gotten hurt. Yeah, it seemed safe. It seemed safe. It was, I mean, it said none of the fat parties are actually safe like in the right I mean, you're well, drinking we're not talking whatever, about it in, whatever in a yeah, way in a, but yeah yeah um no but it was safe it was safe from and and i thought it was it was fun it was cool it you know i mean it's so am i supposed to be mad that i couldn't have done this like you know thrown this kind of party i'm glad i attended mm-hmm. um and i i what is the goal here um you know, it, it fe- what 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 the author of this piece indicates, or she see, she she seems to feel that it is to to 
clear away at all social distinctions um, or differing social identities, especially if they hint at any kind of inequality on any level um, right. or exclusion on on any really on, on any um, merit, you know, including sex. That's what Harvard was doing was they were just um, eliminating sex exclusive spaces. Um, Fraternities and sororities. mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, and I, I, I was not a sorority, person. I could have never gotten into a sorority. I mean, especially not where I went, you know, in the South sororities are a very different thing. Um, And they're super racial too. We had a lot of uh, race specifics fraternities and sororities yeah, is, that, that? is that a th- well no we didn't have fraternities or sororities where i went to college but you know oh, yeah, you i went remember to, went to i went to a arts. small a small liberal arts college yeah the whole thing was just one big sorority with like a few men oh, hanging God. around but you know i remember there was a, a like a, a photo going around from i think it was the university of georgia or something like that a, you know a photo of like a big sorority event and every single girl was white in the photo. And of course the commentary was, oh, you know, of all, these are all white women. Notice how these sororities, it's all white women. It's just, you know, totally, they, they don't allow black women in. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> black women have their own sorority. So whatever you think of that, that's, yeah. uh, you know, a, another thing. But let's like, let's not pretend that somehow this, that every single, that the black people are not part of Greek life because that's not the case. Yeah, Greg. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the way that I I experienced it was Greek life was very it was say, racially segregated, um, but you know, I mean, I never felt the kind of I think there are some people who go around they see fraternities and sororities and they feel I don't know jealous. I, I don't know how to explain, but like, why aren't I allowed into that? Well, yeah, club? it's like but, you're pressing your nose up against the glass, right? But I I mean, to those people, you have to. I, I've been to like a a several more than once it was so terrible i don't know why i went um uh they have mixers fraternities and sororities where they like the a sorority will and fraternity will like yeah you know like have a party together are you supposed to meet your future spouse yeah i guess high powered power marriage and i got pulled along to a few of these events because i had a friend who was um in a sorority and even my friendship with her was a very unlikely kind of strange thing, but I'm not going to go into it. But she drug, she 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 took me to a couple of oh, these events. She she drugged you when you got there. I mean, I went. I went. Um, <laughs> at first, I went like willingly just to see what's up, and then it was just like, oh, I'm missing nothing. These <laughs> these mixers are boring, and I don't want to be a part of it. And everybody is 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 it, it, it was a very strange atmosphere. It was not something I was used to. Um, they immediately knew that I didn't belong. They looked at me like, uh, <laughs> like, you don't have the right makeup. You don't have the right hair. You don't have the right dress. Because of the way, um, okay. And this, but right. But this wasn't a racial thing necessarily. Was it was it partially a racial partially. thing. So it, it, the, the sororities that I knew, they would, they would be like mostly white and they would have like one or two kind of literal like token type, you know, like one Asian, you know, one, um, black woman or something. And oh that, 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 that would be, that would be it. But, but they would, they would look the exact same regardless of what race they were they had their hair done the same way their makeup Mm -hmm. done the same way i mean so it it was odd and it was very like stepford ish to me but you know if they want to do it like if they want to segregate if they want to say look we're not going to be part of normal uh campus life and we're going to do our own thing well they're weirdos anyway and i'm okay with them (laughs) segregating themselves into this space um i'm not sure why 
inherently there's a problem in them existing, period. Um, can you can you steel man this for me? Can you can you explain to me why um, why we I should mean, be mad? Uh, I don't know that we should be mad. I just I don't think that they should be gotten rid of. I guess it just I don't know anything about this world. You have to pay to be in the fraternity, yes, right? So mm-hmm. like, and and how much? Like, what are we talking about? I mean, obviously, I think the- we're talking about a lot depending on. So I think it varies a lot based on the fraternity or sorority in question some of them are are like budget (laughs) um and then some (laughs) it's like motel six yeah um and you can tell their houses are not as nice uh, see this Um, this just sets one up for a lifetime of real estate envy which i i already have i mean so okay so basically you're paying tuition and then you're paying these these sorority or fraternity dues on top of it and then the alumni of the fraternity is also supporting it. Like there's a huge endowment. Uh, you for need the fraternity to, yeah, itself. right. It's so expensive. And like, so, but like, what do you, like you live in the house. So, okay. So you don't have to live in some sterile dorm. You get to live in potentially like a cool house, although it's gotta be sort of gross in, in there. I, I don't know. I'm really not the person to ask because I hate this kind of thing. Like there was a moment in the piece where they talked about the girls in the sorority sort of living communally and having a communal wardrobe, just like so, so know, I, sharing I actually, each other's clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, Do you think that's... <laughs> well, I, that, first of all, that's like a recipe for eating disorder. I can just imagine like, oh my God, all the, all, every, everything here is size zero. So you have to... I mean, to, they definitely are all size that. Like I just... <laughs> okay. If you didn't fit in it, you you wouldn't have gotten in. in you can't place. get in. Um, right. Okay. So I actually meant steel man because to me, I don't, I don't understand why we get rid of it. So that's what I, that's the position I wanted you to steal. Man. No, I don't why get I, rid of them? Oh, why get rid of it? Um, like what if, is, I can't get into the, I can't get into the heads of university administrators. I mean, they have this superficial, like, this isn't equal, but you know, life isn't equal. Nothing about it. Stanford I, isn't equal. You're, if you're at Stanford, you're already, you know, like chances are you're part of a certain kind right. of okay, coastal this, elite. Yeah. Okay. This is why I think you could get rid of it because if, if you have to pay extra to be part of a club that has, that comes with significant perks, including a nice housing facility, just certain kinds of meals, certain kinds of parties, certain kinds of professional networks. And that's something that doesn't come as part of the college offering. You have to pay extra for it. That seems to me unfair. What I don't think is unfair at all. And what I think is actually good are like, you know, there's a co there's a vegetarian co-op or there's an international house or even if you have to pay extra for those, I don't you still think you think do that have that's to pay po- extra. Well, I don't think you, you, you I mean, of you course do. you do. So, I mean, to live it, in the co-op or they're just gross, like, you know, well, everything, co-ops like, are- <laughs> hemp mattress, like, Oh, sorry. You I mean, to, rent has you know. to be paid one way or another. Right. But, but also but that's your housing fee. Okay. But, but, but I, it depends on which house and their activities, but mo- most of them have like some kind of activity fee, um, you know, just to keep, keep, keep the things running. So like uh, um, the mentioning the piece, this outdoor house. Um, <laughs> it's just outdoor. It's, it's, called just, an it's an outdoor encampment. house. Um, that's, that's this like, is for, like a, yes, for students who liked hiking. Okay. okay? And okay. this was a house and, and Stanford eliminated the house saying that the theme 
fell short of diversity, equity, and inclusion expectations. Um, and the building formerly known as Outdoor House was added to Neighborhood T. Um, they, reinst- they, they got their house reinstated, um, but only because the house members promised to refocus their theme on racial and environmental justice yeah. in the outdoors. Um which is, to, I mean, that, it, it was just so nutty to me that, that this, but, but so something like even, even, uh, so I come, I came from, you know, working class to, you know, we, we didn't have a lot growing up. I couldn't do anything, you know, not just uh, fraternities and sororities. I mean, that was, that was one thing like paying extra 300, 400, but, you know, in high school, being a part of the orchestra, you have to get an instrument. Instruments are expensive, right. crazy expensive. Um, you have to get private lessons. Private lessons are expensive. You know, all these extra things were incredibly difficult for my family. Um, having we didn't have uh, a second car for a very long time, so drop offs, uh, you know, back and forth yeah. from school events were just logistical nightmares for my parents to try and figure out. Um, and you know, all these little things that people don't people don't think of as they're actually limitations for for poor kids are they are limitations, but. If you if you brought everything down to my level, everything Sarah can't afford, we can't do. Well, I I technically couldn't even afford the college <laughs> to begin with. You know, I had to take out loans to do it, um, and the nature of my loans were different than the nature of everybody else's loans. The interest rate was different. The um, you know, uh, the, my ability to pay it back later was different because I don't have you know parental support the way everybody well, else. Also, does. So, you disappointed your. Parents by going <laughs> by into going the nonprofit to... world, so yes. precisely. Well, that so yeah. that was um, self induced. Uh, but yeah. it, but you can't. It doesn't seem to me like this is um, the way to forward to justice, and it's also weirdly limited. You know, it's like it's like it, in this space we're going to have equality of opportunity, but you're in Stanford in California. You know, like you're you're you've already you've already benefited from. Uh, you know, a, a million different kinds of privileges to even get to that point. Um, you know, chances are. So why why are we eliminating the distinctions here? I think it's it's an odd uh, maneuver to control aspects of student experience um, and to you know make them uniform. And I, I find it weirdly bizarre. It's like upsetting to me, actually. Like it it it's like yeah. um, Soviet. You know, it's it, there's something about it that that, yeah. that creeps me out and. Um, you know, as somebody who didn't have a lot, and I'm a minority, right? I mean, that counts. I'm a woman. All of these things, like, but I, it, it, it was, it was still nice to be around, you know, different co-op houses, like people who cared about different things. So fraternity authorities are just like it, it's easy to demonize them because of you know what they are, <laughs> um, and you know the people that go into them. But I, but the broader idea of there being distinctions, uh, social distinctions on campus that you know, have ties to money. Well, everything has ties to money, right. you know, um, you can't eliminate that. Uh, and it's strange to me that anyone would even try and actually very suspicious that anyone would even try. Yeah. The other thing is people are going to form groups regardless. Like you could make, you could create a Soviet style block how, re- residential life kind of environment. And people are still going to form their own affinity groups and hobby groups. Yeah, but they would have to be underground. Yeah, and which they makes would, it like, even more. And they, like, it would make it more exclusive. It would yeah. make it, the informal groups are actually more uh, more exclusive and harder to because then you have to be already have been part of that friend group rather than you know I'm applying to be a part of the outdoor 
outdoor house um and i submit my application right and whatever right and right get right it. yeah um and you know and there is uh just something to be said about just this sort of kind of suffocating <laughs> desire to to include 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 i don't even think that that's a value that is uh necessarily a positive one i mean it's touted all the time right like we have the what is a diverse equity diversity and inclusion or is it diversity diversity Diversity, equity equity, and inclusion inclusion. so i i think equity depending on how you define it can be valuable um diversity is i mean i think what they mean by that is racial diversity and they definitely act as if they only mean racial diversity because uh and it, it actually necessarily has to be because if you actually want diversity in um in culture like you know like the, the culture of say a an, an eco group like hippie hippie little um you know commune um co-op um and the culture of a you know dude bro frat um that is that is diversity that is real diversity in those groups um they're fostering very different kind of cultures um and they're doing it autonomously and um if you are forcing those groups to be inclusive to the other if you're forcing the hippies to accept the the dude bros and the dude bros to accept the hippies mm-hmm. um you're going to destroy that diversity right. so there's something you know about those those three values that is inherently contradictory if they mean what they if they mean you know just the, the general uh you know understanding of that word diversity but i think they mean racial diversity they don't actually mean yeah no. cultural right. like intellectual the, all the other kind of diversities don't really seem well, to don't matter to class. them class they don't mean class they don't mean not a class diversity at all ever they'll use that when when i mean when it's helpful to bring up class they'll bring it up and otherwise they'll just forget about it um you know, so it, I think that if they if they needed to bring up like the fees issue, they would bring it up if they if that's what they you know needed to do to get the fraternity shut down. Although it's interesting that they didn't they don't seem to use those as uh, as as the justification. It's mm-hmm. usually um, racial diversity, you know, sexual diversity, that kind of thing. Like the outdoor house thing is a very very interesting. <laughs> I just think the whole concept of outdoor house is hilarious. It's like, just people is it a house who like or is sporty people. That they should just sleep people. outside, right? I hear. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they just sleep outside. Maybe they set up tents. <laughs> Maybe they set up tents outside, and that was uh, part of their backyard experience. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, or maybe their maybe their backyard was like part of the woods i don't know um where they could just uh wander <laughs> over <laughs> i you know i mean there were de- there were definitely that that contingent yeah i mean this all i think you know it's it's, it's worth maybe talking about more in, another time like yeah the idea of what is exclusive what is inclusive what, what does that even mean the biggest when i was in college the biggest uh, you know sort of party event of the year was the homo hop and it was a dance it was sponsored by the um lgb i don't know if t was in the word i guess it was the lgbtq um wasn't cute back then not cute back then but definitely it was the it was the lesbian gay it was the lgb it was i think it was bi gala so it was like bisexual gay lesbian alliance i think that's what it was called oh nice i know bi gala how nice is that that's that's a nice one i like that yeah Mm -hmm. and it was incredibly it was the funnest event everybody like did acid and like it was just crazy and um it was like a rave it was a little little mini rave on the campus and um, it was called the homo hop and there was just a great, you know, there was a just 
great sort of sense of humor about it and sense of inclusivity, literally, because everybody went. They ended up, I think they ended up shutting it down because so many people ended up going to the hospital because of like drugs, but (laughs) to the emergency room. Um, But yeah, you know, just every, we just didn't think about stuff as, we definitely overthought, look, don't get me wrong. There was a, a lot of hand wringing about a lot of stuff, but certainly nothing compared to today. I will say that the conservative student newspaper in my college was constantly losing its funding Mm. and it was absolutely demonized and they would try to, they would print it and slide it under people's doors um, as a way of delivering it. And then people would make a very big deal about like throwing them out the window or throwing them in the garbage or burning it. Like, you know, a lot of this stuff was still going on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but, but that yeah. doesn't matter. They don't count. No, um, never, never, never. Yeah, so. I think we, it, I, I remember similar sort of shenanigans with the college Republicans. I I lived with a couple of college Republican people, like um, not by no. choice, just like we were assigned. <laughs> but but you know, one of them I continued to live with like the next year. She was fine. Um, but yeah, they were. Um, they had they they struggled and they were also they were also weird though you know but meanwhile the college democrats which i was occasionally kind of loosely a part of huge organization huge tons of money organized doing things all the time i mean the difference was just pretty remarkable actually but i'm I'm not going to go on too much about that but i i do want to end with the um some uh the the very um interesting point that she sort of ended with um uh, and I'll read. I'll I'll read directly from from her piece again. <clears throat> um, in contrast to student in bad housing, the labyrinth of themeless, meaningless dorms awaiting most Stanford students rarely bother to learn their neighbors' names. So she was she was starting with like uh, the community, uh, how the themed houses had the sense of community, and she talks about in contrast. Um, the the other homes just uh, didn't have that sense. They rarely bother to learn their neighbors' names. Um, hallways are quiet and doors are locked. Without a strong existing support network, these students can easily bounce from anonymous dorms to lecture halls to cavernous dining halls without anyone acknowledging their presence for days. Sometimes students came to the conclusion that no one would really notice if they disappeared. During my freshman year, I overheard one junior boy speculating how long it would take for someone to find his body if he died in his room. I remember that he settled on a range between four to seven days. Like many elite universities, Stanford has a suicide rate far above the national average. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was really sad. Yeah, so she she can she connects the elimination of these little little bubbles of communities, um, these different social groups, uh, to the general loneliness um, experienced by college college kids um, that appears to be different in nature than what one might have experienced a generation or two ago. Um, and I think that, I mean, it, it, for her to, to see this connection, I mean, it's not, it's not even, uh, it's not necessarily unique in that other, other, other cultural commentators have pointed this out just in the broader uh, national context. Um, you know, the, um, the uh, bowling alone, I remember was, right. was, was essentially, um, 
uh, focused on this uh, this thesis that we are experiencing a loss of voluntary social organizations and and membership groups, and that this has an effect on our civil society. And and I don't know if I, I don't recall if he goes as far in in in, in his book um, Robert Putnam does, uh, but it um, it. It, it, he connected it to the sense of of loneliness, um, of of isolation from others. Um, he touches on the effect of maybe the online world on increasing this, um, but certainly um, this kind of administrative stamping out of of voluntary associations doesn't help. Yeah, there was another passage in this article that really struck me. She writes. About 71% of college students say that they are, quote, very sad. I wonder how many sad kids are just lonely. Our former fraternity houses have been filled with offices to help us feel better, and we are sadder and sicker than any generation before. If you are sad, Stanford has an office building with a number you can call and a series of, quote, community conversations about neurodiversity thought that was really interesting. But what if you're just unhappy spending your days alone in your lettered house and numbered room? You know, the way that they use the word community is very like, it's like Orwellian almost, oh, you know, com- look, that we need to do a whole episode about community, this, the co-opting of community, the bastardization oh, yeah. of the word. And concept let's do it. Of community. That's totally, that's my, that's totally my, um, it's your bailiwick. Yeah. <laughs> I would have, I would have never used that that word, but um, <laughs> you know what? It's amazing. It works. Uh, yeah, community, co- and also why neurodiversity? Like, how did that get thrown in there? Yeah, community conversations about neurodiversity. So, so like, if you're sad, you must just be on the spectrum. Um, I'm a. I mean. <laughs> don't know are people with anxiety are they neurally they probably are actually it's probably something um genetically biologically different about you if you're predisposed to anxiety um but yeah it's um she she points out these existence of these community centers that that have replaced uh these actual you know student association houses you know which were very distinct and, and truly community centers where you would you know see students napping in the front yard whatever playing mm-hmm. uh games together whatever it is um and 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 now they're they're these sort of empty clean you know nice spaces that nobody ever really utilizes because they you can't astroturf a community mm-hmm. so yeah so we don't have like the people hanging out in the dorm parlor like watching tv and eating pizza yeah, well, I mean, it has to, there's that sense of like comfort and belonging that, that is, why would I do that in a, in the community plaza, you know, eat pizza and watch whatever, when I can, when I could do that in my dorm, I can do that there too. What's the benefit of doing it in a public space? The benefit yeah. would be if I'm part of a, you know, it's right. like my family, my friend group, they're going to come by and they're going to chat with me and I'm going to enjoy talking to them and we're going to watch something together and experience, we're going to turn something that was a, a, you know, individual experience into a group experience and that those kind of interactions can happen spontaneous spontaneously in group housing um or in spaces that are that are specifically oriented to to a certain group um you're not going to get that kind of interaction in a community center and why would you be there anyway then then you would be online instead wow 
maybe that's what's really at the heart of this. There's not enough will on the part of the students to keep <sighs> these these organizations going. Well, I don't even think they know. So, so if something she touches on in the article a little bit is that, it, you know, the, the, there used to be the, the fraternities and then the next year that they, they sort of just got rid of them in, uh, in COVID, especially they used COVID as an opportunity mm-hmm. to get, get rid of mm-hmm. um, a bunch of groups and the students that come in the next year, they don't even know that it exists. You know, they, they don't know what happened. Um, right. The they don't know and, what they're missing. Right. Right. And um, actually this is of, this is kind of an interesting little tangent that I could probably go on for for a little while. I talked to some young people that I know about uh, their experiences with college in the midst of COVID, and some of them that that were in college prior to the beginning of the pandemic and then finished it in the pandemic. <clears throat> described how they were part of certain student associations that had all these traditions, you know, they, they, uh, specific, like, like yearly, you know, crew, booze, cruise, whatever, like, you know, specifically themed parties that they have year after year traditions of, of mentoring and all this stuff that, um, with COVID, I mean, you have to pass these traditions on, you know, the upperclassmen pass them on to the juniors. And if they don't interact for two years, they don't see each other, they don't get that opportunity to pass those traditions on and they just, um, they just disappear. So she said that some of the younger classmen that are coming into to these, um, to these fraternities and sororities, um, uh, uh, they don't know about you know, any of these, these, this sort of cultural heritage, um, that was a part of this group. Um, they won't be passing it on to anyone else. Um, hopefully they'll create new ones, but it's really hard to create something like that from, from scratch. So they just probably won't. And they'll just have, uh, a, an emptier kind of experience of even the social groups that do exist. So I think there's something, um, I mean, that's a completely different topic that we can go on, but, um, Uh, yeah. Wow. I think the, the term community is just abused and misused constantly, you know, constantly, constantly. And I wrote a little bit about this on my sub stack. Um, I intended it to be a series. I wrote like two posts and um, that's a I series. Make more. No, that's a series. One more, one more. Three. Three. I can do one more. And I can, a trend. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I definitely have like two or three other th- thoughts that I need to put on there. But there's this. I think there's a misunderstanding of what, what community means. And with, especially with younger generations, I feel like their, their, their sense of what a community is and what my sense of a community is, is a very different thing. And there's some um, miscommunication going on. Um, You know, when they think community, they think uh, a label, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Or an identity category. An identity category. Do you feel that you're part of the Southeast Asian community? what community right like there's no, that's what when they I'm part so of when, the white woman community <laughs> well i mean when they say that they, they i think you're right that that's what they that's what they mean by it and that's what they think um primarily of when they think of the term community they do have that sense of like tribal anger and you know affiliation in any in any case but it's to an emptier you know ab- more abstract entity rather than a real group of people who know each other and feel responsible for the welfare of each other right like they don't act there is no right. south asian community in the sense of uh like there there's no broad umbrella group that connects all of us there are individual south asian communities yes you know right. like specific local ones where people actually see each other and know their names of their kids and and you know <laughs> send food right. when something's wrong you know you mean community. community-based communities <laughs> real community actual communities i mean the, but this word is right. so bastardized right. you know and i, I think know. online ha- culture has had a lot to do with it because i i, I think online communities are uh you just 
by their very nature, incapable of being true, like truly what a, what a community should be or, or, or the kinds of things that, that a community requires. It just cannot be that way, but it replaces enough of those social functions that people don't bother to, to participate in their real life face-to-face communities. Okay. Well, I think there's definitely more to say about that, that, and we'll, we'll continue this topic uh, another time. So um, yeah, I think we're going to, we're going to wrap it up for now. We've got some juicy stuff as usual for our for our super special paid subscribers, but the freeloaders can sign can sign off now. Is there anything else we need yeah. to say? Um, subscribe to my Substack to get um, more. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm always plugging my Substack, but please, please do subscribe, and you can. Um, you don't have to be a paying subscriber to get most of my content, um, and it's just uh, it's called Hold That Thought. But you can also just look up my name. And you'll find it. Um, and rate and review this podcast, yes, please, pretty please. please. Rate um, us on an iTunes, Apple Podcasts. I think iTunes and Apple Podcasts. I think might be the same thing. Apple yeah, Podcasts is yeah. what is iTunes yeah. is now called. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, um, um, but yeah. yeah, definitely. I know. I see. We we are up to four point nine stars right now. We need to be five, right? But I, I mean, think I, you have you know a what? point that five is like a little too. Five is it's creepy. Five much. is you have a cult. Yeah. yeah, or just or it's sort of like oh, you only had one person rate you and they gave you. Five I, stars. I actually think even yeah, I I, I think even four point nine is a it's it's. It's, it's almost it's, too high. It's touching yeah. the yeah. It's a little yeah. yeah. So There's, if you could like rate us down a little bit. No, no, no. Don't rate us down. <laughs> um, <laughs> leave us uh, reviews if you liked it. Um, if you don't like it, don't leave any reviews or comments or ratings. Don't don't do it. Um, you can hate <laughs> listen if you want. But yeah. <laughs> don't express yourself. Um, no, I don't yeah. want to hear it. Um, frankly no if you want to express yourself though you can go into the comments on the Substack. you can become a paid subscriber and become part of a very lively conversation that's going on 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 the comments there. yeah and those comments are those comments are really interesting i've been really enjoying some of the comments and we we definitely want to engage with them um more regularly um in the sense of uh, i like this conversation that we're having uh between us and and uh, some some of y'all on here, especially a couple of you, <laughs> so, so, especially a couple of you who are extremely um, physically fit. Um, we will, <laughs> but you know, I mean, down the road, I think it would be cool to have like um, community discussions, just things like that. Community, I think would be re- we're gonna community. make community. We yeah. are a community. We're <laughs> filling the hole that you know religion left behind yeah and you're you know if local you were living in like a cinder block soviet style dormitory in college this is the antidote yeah yeah look at um, that yeah so do that um let's see i should say uh what am i doing i am gonna be writing on substack soon so <laughs> that's exciting want to start I'm, I'm gearing up to write you know i've always wanted to write it's always been a dream of mine <laughs> and i feel like i'm getting closer to it so i'm going to be doing that uh, in the meantime i'm also uh, i'm building my women's uh free think community the unspeakeasy which i've been talking about so if you are a woman uh or if you know a woman um you can um go or send her to the unspeakeasy.com 
get on the mailing list to find out more about that. I'm hoping to get that launched uh, around Labor Day and some really exciting stuff coming up there. So um, that's it. That's it for now, people, uh, free people. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. All right, paid people, this is for you. What do we have for these guys? Are you gonna um, throw up? Are you gonna I- th- are you gonna throw up live on the air? Um, yeah, I uh, I'm gonna just uh, spew out uh, my breakfast <laughs> from both ends. Um, for you. <laughs> the, whole, the whole podcast has been like a vomiting in a certain way. So yeah. Um, I'm proud of myself for having made it this long because I do feel Oh, man. Awful. I'm so sorry. Um, oh, yuck. Yeah, but there's nothing to do with it. You just have to suffer through this. I mean, this is just our lives now. We well, just get sick all the time. It's white supremacy urgency. Yeah, that's true. As we discussed last time. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Well, I wanted to, you know, last time we were going to touch on something that I don't think we need to go into in great detail, but I was interested in um, a piece that was in the New Yorker a few weeks ago by Emily Witt. And it was about a a new dating app called field (laughs) F E E L D I think. Um, And it's, they call it uh, a dating app for the emotionally mature. That's the headline of the piece, but actually, well, I don't know, but, and the app is for people seeking things like threesomes uh, for kink for people in the kink community, that's another community I don't really understand. The kink and fetish community, it's like yeah, sex communities. I really are don't real think big. that needs to be a community, but um, yeah. So it's 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 an alternative to your kind of standard Tinder, OkCupid, Bumble kind of dating apps. And she talks about uh, being part of it and having dates with couples, <laughs> for instance. And anyway, I, I don't think we need to go into great detail. Actually. Nancy Rommelman and Sarah Heppola talked about this piece at length on their podcast, Smoke If, if You Got Him. But there was one paragraph that has really stayed with me. And it has to do with standard dating apps. So the author of this piece, I think she's in her in her 30s. She might be in her in her late 30s. She's not like super, super young. Um, she talks about standard dating apps this way. She says, I've gone back to the standard dating apps a couple of times, but none offered the same ease of connection as field as this other dating app. I kept experiencing a suffocating gender dynamic, regardless of the kind of person I am. I was somehow forced into the role of a desperate pursuer trying to win the affection of the elusive and so-called emotionally unavailable male A dynamic that was confusing to see revived in a moment when I was experiencing so much sexual agency. Sorry. It was confusing to see revived in a moment when I was experiencing as much sexual agency as I ever had in my life. So she means that when she was using this other dating app field, she was experiencing more sexual agency than she ever had. Now, I don't know. Like, how did this land with you? The whole piece was weird. 
I didn't, the whole piece, and I would not encourage anyone to actually read it because it's so long and I don't know. Oh, I never discourage people from reading Okay. Anything. No, they can, no. They have, look, sh- look, they don't have hobbies. You, no, no, don't do discuss. this. Don't, don't read it. It's so long and what is she talking about is what I was wondering the, the whole just go time. On, just, you know what? Just go on the app. That's you should just, just go the on app. the app and you don't need to read about her experience on the app. Just uh, experience the sex communities for yourself. Um, but I, yeah, I just thought uh, I don't, it, what was interesting is that she talks a lot about culture um, of certain apps, I guess. Um, but she, she, she doesn't delve into in, in a way that was that felt sufficient to me, um, exactly what makes this culture very different. Okay, you have more label, op, you know, uh, options. All right. Um, okay, you know, like there, there, why there, there's this, um, I guess, maybe an inability, but I, I don't know what's going on. But I, I, she didn't explain, for example, with the with uh, the paragraph you read, why she felt such an agency with this app as opposed to any other app like what what is it allowing you to do specifically what are they doing technically speaking that um it it feels to me that she just likes this she just likes the message this app is giving out about the social world or the way things should be um she likes the attitude of the founders she likes the 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 kind of image that they have cultivated Mm -hmm. of acceptance or whatever but she she doesn't tell us why like, you know, I mean, of course that trickles down into your experience on the app, but, but she doesn't really talk too much about, well, what else are they doing? Are they, you know, what, what else is interesting about this technically speaking that changes, um, yeah, that changes yeah, the dynamic. I think it's just that it's not heteronormative. I mean, even same sex arrangements tend to be quote unquote more heteronormative yeah. than they used to be. So, so, you know, this app, she would meet up with couples. There was, a, you know, non-binary people, just people who are, who are queer or whatever that means and <laughs> yeah. consider themselves sort of non-standard. And maybe that that comes with an assumption that you're going to just be sort of more like, peace and love and and diversity equity and inclusiony about it yeah but also you're gonna get like whipped sometimes i mean that's totally you can be whipped in a dei kind of way i mean well so that's what it is really (laughs) is that there's this this combination of kind of i wouldn't i don't want to call it pearl clutching but there's something about like her distaste towards you know, a certain kind of sexual interaction, like, or just social interaction, you know, she wants, she wants dynamics to be, you know, just, just so, you know, just in this specific way that make her feel comfortable and then to, to engage in stuff that is supposedly like extremely daring and extreme and, and, um, you know, not or normal. Sex, so, so- sex positive. I mean, that's the thing is like the sex it's, it, I don't want to say it's a sex app because that's like, there are those things, but there's just, it's, it's like, it's been engineered. It's, it's an engineered form of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what the, that's what online life is. In a yeah. Lot of this, but, yeah. Um, but, I, but I also like when she talks about how the emotionally unavailable male being pursued by a desperate woman is a standard paradigm of the dating scene or is it? That's my question to you. I, 
I have never been. Since you're a desperate pursuer. uh, I've never, yeah, I've never, I don't think I've ever pursued. Well, I I guess I have, but not in the, not in like any kind of desperate way. I don't know. I've been um, uh, in and out of monogamous relationships for my entire life. I don't even, I have no idea what single people do or experience. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So you shouldn't Um, be talking about it at all. I should, I shouldn't be. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to insert my opinion (laughs) where it doesn't belong. And (laughs) I mean, um, I just, like I understand, yeah. I mean, I, I we've certainly all felt that, I, I, especially in places like New York City. There are, I think, this is borne out with the numbers, and even if it's not, it certainly feels true that, in there are more single women than single men by by quite a lot, mm-hmm. um, especially in the educated classes. Mm-hmm. Let's say, you know, particularly, maybe only if we're only talking about people you know, with in the professional circles, when you get into a big city like New York, Los Angeles, there are going to be more women in those places just because of the nature of the economy. Anyway, you get more women in these kinds of jobs that are in these kinds of cities. Okay. They're not, Mm -hmm. these women are not wanting to date longshoremen. Okay. If you're a professional woman and you want to date another professional man, you got a lot of competition. Um, so I guess that's why this dynamic tends to come to the surface of the unavailable man. But what is unavailable? What does unavailable exactly. have to do with it? Well, also, right. And emotionally unavailable. I That feels like a lie to me. Does she, is that what she wants? An I think unavailable men man? are really, I think men are really emotionally needy. Yeah. So is that what she wants? Somebody who's not needy? No, she wants somebody who is needy. She wants somebody who's emotionally available. I guess here's another question is what does emotionally available even mean? Yeah. I mean, that means into you. Yeah. Yeah. Into so. you and willing to work for it and, uh, yeah. and committed for the long run and take it taking, um, it also means somebody who, who is awesome, but doesn't think that they're too much better than you. So, you know, you know what I mean? Like treats you as if you're the, you're the thing worth pursuing. Um, even though things are maybe more equal or, or they're actually the right. Catch. So, oh, you're sort of reenacting a kind of more old fashioned courtship ritual, even I, though you're both it, movers and shakers of contemporary world. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like this piece, like a lot of like, um, uh, sort of dating and sex writing, um, when it comes, especially when it comes from the mouth of this specific kind of person, like this, this writer, you know, like this kind of woman writing for the New Yorker, um, she comes from a very specific cultural context. She makes a lot of assumptions about what people want, but weirdly about also what about what she wants that also feel untrue. You know, as a reader, you're sort of like, huh, like, okay. I mean, you say you want this, so I I have no choice but to Yeah, I mean, you, this but... is kind of her, her bailiwick. She wrote a book called Future Sex that explored a lot of this stuff. This is her interest. She also, by the way, wrote a review of my book, The Problem with Everything in the New Yorker, which she uh, did not like, was, was not a fan of. Um, and I, and I actually do talk a lot about, um, you know, dating rituals and sexual encounters and power dynamics within gendered relationships. But anyway, yeah, I don't know. I just, we, we don't have to, to dwell on this. I mean, I don't, it's not, her sensibility is so different than mine as I don't even feel like I'm in a position to, 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 critique it like I could I can't possibly get into her mind but I was just really I I thought a lot about this idea of 
the role of the desperate pursuer trying to win the affection of the elusive and emotionally unavailable male, like how much that is perhaps hardwired into the minds of women. I mean, I certainly experienced a version of it having gone to a college that was predominantly women and then moving and moving to New York after college and working in industries that were predominantly women. I mean, men were few and far between. That is absolutely true. Um, but I don't, I'm not sure that that translates into them being emotionally unavailable. I think that might be a um, separate point. They're probably related. I mean, I, I, I see what you mean that it's a, that it's a separate thing, but it's also probably one feeds into the other. If, um, if what's, what is that offer feels different to, to the man, um, I, I, it, it's hard not to imagine that that would affect how deeply he he feels connected to somebody. Um, if he has just been on a date with somebody who is exactly like the author or, or they feel or, they or can better. get anybody. Yeah. I mean, they, if, yeah. if, right. If they have many, many options. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they meet them. That's the other thing. It's not just a, it's that, that feeling is not a lie. You know, they, they actually regularly meet women, regularly experience a lot of uh, attention from women or, you know, yeah. this, this desperate, whatever, whatever she's saying. Um, and I don't, I find it kind of odd myself because I don't, I, now, now I don't want to like say too much about, again, about dating because I, I, I haven't spent much of my life dating. Um, or like, you know, d- dating in the sense of like going on dates with different guys. Well, nobody That's went funny. on dates. That's the other thing is I don't know that going on individual dates I certainly didn't I mean I certainly didn't nobody did that in college mm-hmm. and then I think like in my 20s maybe but I certainly I, I have never been in a situation well where I would just like be going on dating a lot of different people at once really that's no mm. I mean I you know you can go on a date here and there but I've certainly never been in a thing where I was like sleeping with several people at once uh-huh. because you know nobody's committed maybe i just tv too, tells too me this is happening myself. all the time yeah i don't yeah, know i well. i have no idea what's going on in in the real world but according to television this is okay a common well, then it's um, true yeah experience but i yeah i found the whole piece really odd i found her it felt to me like a, a woman who's searching for something she claims she has found it i don't believe her <laughs> You know, like that's that was my. Well, whenever anybody <laughs> claims they've found something, uh, there's reason to be suspicious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It just felt like she she was missing something important, and I I almost as a reader I can't say what that what that something is, but she's searching for a kind of connection, for a kind of experience that is either, you know, unrealistic for her or maybe just like impossible for humans. You know what I mean? Like it's there's. And I, I, I left feeling that she was that kind of desperate person still, you know, and she claims not to be throughout the thing that, that now she has found this app and she feels so great about things all the time. And she's having all these great experiences and it just, and <laughs> the it was like, app well, that changed you? my life. Yeah. And it, I mean, there's so many words to say, I like this. I'm happy. Um, none of them are very specific to what this is allowing you to do that makes you happy. Um, just a vague general, like, uh, you know, here's the culture and here are their priorities and labels. It gives you so many labels and this opens you up to things. I don't know how, I mean, it just does, I guess. 
um, I, I'm not sure how this affects her because she doesn't herself identify in, as, with all these labels. Um, so it's it, it was just an odd it was an odd reading. It made me feel very glad that I'm not dating um, in the dating world at the moment. <laughs> There's a lot I'm of sorry, reasons Megan. you feel glad about <laughs> that. You, so this, wait, this, Megan, this article you... is not a, a, a metric of of the do you use dating person. apps is this too personal if, if it's too personal but do you, um, do you use I, any apps? I, ha- I have I, I have dabbled in them but I'm I'm like I don't enjoy I don't enjoy that you know what it is I I actually was having a conversation with somebody recently I love going to look at like rental houses and real estate the way that some people love going on dates like I will go and look at any if I'm remotely thinking that I might want to move or you know right now I've been in this like weird limbo period all all year I'm kind of like moving from sublet to sublet so like if I think that there's a slight chance that I might want to move to you know some place that I see listed on Craigslist or on Zillow or something like that I will just get myself over right over there check the place out you know, I just want to see it. Like, I love that. And I know people who feel that way about dating. They just love to go on dates. They love to meet new people. They love to sit down. They like to talk. They, they get excited about it. Like, what are the possibilities? I do not feel any of that when it comes to dating, but I feel that way when it comes to looking at housing. <laughs> and I look I at it online. Healthier, you know what? It's like pornography. I mean, yeah. shelter porn. No, I will look at I will look at real estate listings and it's like, oh, I haven't seen that one yet. I got to look at the picture. I got to look at the picture. It's new. It's new. It's new. And like the, you know, the dopamine, you know, hit is, you know, my, my brain is lighting up. Um, so yeah, the, and the dating app thing I just see as an absolute depressing drudge, just like, get it away, get it away yeah. from me. I, and I think it's, um, it's misleading, you know, um, it, it, it forces you to define yourself in these very weird terms, you know, that human interaction is not like this, you know, it's nothing like this. And you're, and forces you to filter people in ways that you would never filter for in real life. You know, you wouldn't, I've said this before, I think, but you know, in real life as a short woman, I can't tell the difference between a f- guy who's five eleven and a guy who's six foot, but for the sake of just limiting <laughs> my, you know, you know, here are a thousand matches, you know, well, I just want to all, shorten if them. They're, just... If they're 5'11", they are 5'9". <laughs> they're five, actually 5'9". Five. Five <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't you know. Some people have said that before to me. But whatever. But, like, the point is, is that I, I make an arbitrary, you know, like, okay, here, you know, six. Um, just because otherwise there's all these options ahead of me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sorting and I'm filtering in the way that I'm used to online. But it's, a, it's an odd fit when it comes to people and so many times it doesn't work out in real life anyway i mean i don't i don't have tons of experience again dating i, I was on like okay cupid i believe or something so, something some app for like a month and it was extremely and you weird. immediately decided to get married you um just, like i'm gonna yeah, cut my losses I, I, I right didn't now meet, i didn't meet yeah i didn't meet anyone through there I, right. I, there was like a billion matches first of all which was i felt overwhelmed oh. by like what was happening um and i didn't you know, you're flipping through these guys and okay, you're just going to go to dinner. And, and, and sometimes immediately, immediately it doesn't feel right. You know? And, and like I walked in and I'm like, I don't like, I don't like something about this. This vibe is wrong. He's, you know, he's, his pheromones smell off to me, whatever. Like, I, I mean, who knows what it is about the real life interaction. Um, And then it makes me think how many guys 
I filtered through, you know, in my just uh, quest to find this perfect guy that, you know, I'm like, oh, well, my perfect guy, I guess, is this tall and I guess weighs this much, you know, um, how many great guys with amazing chemistry did I miss out on? Right, exactly. Um, Exactly. Yeah. I just don't think there's anything accurate about what we're doing. And it doesn't make any it doesn't make sense to me. The best apps, I think, would try to get people in to meet in real life as quickly as possible. Um, that sounds like a huge liability. And, and I think the opposite, but the opposite happens, right? Like they put all these filters that are supposed to be super hyper duper, you know, intelligent and they're, they, they can um, figure you out and they can figure them out and they can just predict chemistry. And I think that's maybe the wrong way to go about it because I think that, that chemistry is not legible um, or not legible to us yet in, in, in a way that we can. Oh, I'm sure somebody's working a, on this. Oh my gosh. I'm sure somebody's working on oh like, God. A chemi- okay. like a, what is how to a chemistry, like an app that actually kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, like, yeah. So you, I mean, I don't, so I don't date, but I do meet people from Twitter who I've like made friends with. And then I, you know, and I, I like them a lot and we're DMing all the time or whatever. And then I meet them in real life and it's like, Oh, <laughs> This is not working for some reason. Like right. something about the chemistry here. Just something's Somebody's off. Somebody's actually better on Twitter than they are in real life. I don't know what that says it's, about them. It's not about better. It's just about <laughs> right, not compatible. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, like our cadences are not compatible. Yeah. Our, you know, like uh, something about their energy is too uptight or too too relaxed or something. It it it. And there's yeah. also, I think, that the element of like, because you meet them online and you meet their profile, you imagine uh, a person, um, and then so that 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 meeting, you ha- you then try to to force fit, you know, what you saw of them online or your interactions with them online onto this real person, and it doesn't fit cleanly, and so there's this sense of like uh, something's wrong, and I don't yeah. know what it is. Um, anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's my. Sure. Um, all right. Well. Okay. So, um, did we want to, I was feeling like this maybe dovetailed into what some of our, our commenters were talking about on the, on the sub stack. We had quite a, quite a lively conversation about date eligibility and attractiveness going on, on the, on the comments. Um, I was like the, the, our, our, our commenter, the, the guy who talked about staying very fit so he could attract a certain caliber of woman. Um, I think that's admirable, but you know, I would like, I would just add to that, you know, what did he say? He only, he was only attracted to like what percentage of women? Very. Um, yeah. The top, you know, to 1% or something. 1%. It was very, it was very very high. I'm not sure how unusual that is. I mean, 1%. Okay. That's pretty small, but you know, I'm not attracted to most people by a long shot. And don't you, so, and I'm not going to get super fit in order to do anything about it. Right. <laughs> right. right. I'm not attracted. To, you know, that's, but that's true. Right. Like I'm not either. Like I'm not attracted to most people, but you don't need um, to be. If now you were, I need sing, to be, if you were single, oh. you might have to, you would have to get like, what a relief. You'd have to like just work out around the clock and get a lot of like, Oh my God. Plastic surgery. surgery yeah. Oh yeah. That would be, you'd have to start a GoFundMe just to make yourself dateable to, you know what? I, we should have desire. a plastic surgery episode because yes. I have a lot to say about it. And then, um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to get a new face. I'm going to get it all fixed and I'll be yeah. And then you, very fit guy will like me. Get a new face. <laughs> I, the, the Sarah, get a new face. I'm just. Um, I need a new face. I need a new me. face. I, my, fa- my face has got a lot of years on yours. I need a new face before you do. So. Yeah, I was born with a with with you know a problematic face. I feel like what so, so, are so, you so. talking about? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I don't. I, I totally, I'm, I would totally get, um, you know, mild plastic surgery if I wasn't so afraid of like hospitals and I didn't want to spend the money. Under anesthesia yeah, and, be, yeah, and being really embarrassed. Yeah, yeah that's ha- the really worst embarrassed. part. <laughs> totally. But wait, okay. I, I actually do. I have to go because I have, I am in New York and I have a very busy schedule but, and I'm going to be late. But wait, you would get plastic surgery? I'm shocked because last time oh, yeah, sure, I got the on. feeling that you were totally against it. No, 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 no. I was, a, I was for being honest about what it is. And not, not like I like I wouldn't say that, oh, I'm going to get, you know, a new pair of whatever, like like lips, you know, and then I'm going to say <laughs> um, I do this for, you know, for me, because the truth is that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I think this is what makes me more attractive to, you know, the like our very fit type guy. Right. Like somebody somebody See, really like okay. I'm trying to I get the specific. With, kind of- I think people do. But I think we do do it. You can do it for you because but not separate from a so maybe maybe separate from like specifically sexual desire but it's always rooted in it because it's not the case that absent society you would get a lip job or a nose job or a boob job or whatever you wouldn't do that you would society has to be a part of this so you're trying to be an image that people will appreciate you and that that's a necessary quality of of why someone sane gets plastic surgery, right? Yeah, that, right, yes. So you are you are making a statement about, this is how I want you to see me, whatever that means. Okay, but I think so, that that's, di- you, but who is you? I don't think it necessarily has to be the male gaze. I it doesn't think. have to be the male gaze, but it has to be, it's a gaze for someone, you know? And um, it just so happens that so much of what women do in terms of surgery are to appeal to men or just happen to align with then what men find attractive. why do lesbians get cosmetic do surgery? They? Do they? I, I think I think there have been one or two lesbians who've done cosmetic <laughs> surgery historically. You know, but but let's but, ask Jane. No, Lynch. no, no. I mean, but so so lesbians are also trying to attract someone, right? I'm not saying they're trying to attract men necessarily, but they're trying to be attractive, whatever they think attractive means, or or beautiful or pleasing or whatever. Well, it's a but way to make your life easier. It's a way to yeah, move yeah, through yeah, the world yeah, yeah, yeah. So with greater agility, yeah. right? Right. And I think so. I think that's a perfectly that's a great. Um, like a self, you know, acceptance almost thing to say, you know what, I want life to be easier for me. And one way it'll be easier for me is if I was, you know, uh, more appealing to people. And, the, and that's a very, to me, that's, that, that makes sense. It's clear. It's, you know, yourself and you accept yourself really, but you're also accepting that society is the way it is. There's nothing wrong with you, but, but, you know, you, you want these, you want these, perks of being prettier or whatever that people are getting naturally anyway. And it's, um, an unfair game anyway. Right. Um, so I, I think there's a, there's a balance between accepting yourself, um, and being happy with what you can't change and, um, having sort of a, 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 you know, a sense of self that also says that, okay, sometimes I will allow myself to be a human animal you know, and, and feel pretty. So, you know, and, and, and I will allow myself to, to have a little bit of confidence, um, you know, that my husband finds me attractive or, or whatever. And I'm not going to think too deeply about, well, is this, am I, you know, is this, is this me upholding the patriarchy because he only, you know, likes me right now because I have this, you know, hot brawn or whatever. Right. Like, I mean, there's, there's, I think there's an overthinking aspect of, of, of the, eh, anti-sex no no 
um, um, sex negative, sex, sex negative, right? The, 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 there's sort of this, this aspect of I'm going to make myself actually in, or, in order for me to be a good feminist, I'm going to make myself repulsive to men, you know, or, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to have pits that are so hairy and legs. That are, <laughs> and this makes, this is empowering to me because I'm actually rejecting yeah. um, males so much that I, I, I'm happy to be repulsive to them. And I think that is, that is, that also speaks to a sense of insecurity that is not too different from the woman who has to obsessively shave five times yeah, a well, day. You're also like playing the game. You're, you're, right, you're, you're right. thinking about it too much. You're giving it too much airtime. You're giving it way too much airtime. And you're saying that actually image does matter. And here's the image I'm going to give out. You know, like you you think that you're saying, okay, don't judge me by my cover, except now I'm going to, I'm going to make my cover in this very specific way in order to make you feel like I don't care about my cover. You know, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. deliberate. And that, that, that gives away the game a little bit. And I think that the healthiest thing is to just not think too deeply about this kind of shit. <laughs> well, that is true of everything. Don't think <laughs> That's too our deeply. Motto. Um, um, all right. Less. Well, okay. I'm going to let you go throw up. Okay. And I am going to go outside and get on the subway, which I might throw up when I get down there as well. So cool. All right. Solidarity. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, paid people. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next we'll week. See you next time. Okay. <laughs>